The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm Dr. Nigel Finch, and today my guest is Todd Alder, the Managing Director and CEO of Orbital UAV uh, with the ASX ticker code OEC. Orbital UAV is an advanced aerospace manufacturing company that's supplying the global defence contractors. They design and manufacture engine systems for tactical unmanned aerial vehicles, so they're UAVs. Now, revenue for the first half jumped from $2.2 million for the six months to $11.4 million um, just recently for the December half year. OEC share price is up about 50% with a market cap of uh, $40 million. That's 50% up since, uh, since January. Um, and it's my pleasure to, uh, to welcome you to the segment, Todd. Thank you, Nigel. So, Todd, how do you create an aerospace company in Australia? Well, first of all, you build it on um, a bunch of really talented people. Um, Orbital UAV actually has a history of uh, almost 20 or 30 years. Uh, it started out in automotive um, and using a bunch of very clever engineers and um, some real hard work and some passion uh, and some unique technology. So we have some quite unique uh, fuel injection technology. Uh, we found a niche market in uh, and a growing market in the tactical UAV space to build some of the finest propulsion systems for the defence sector. Hmm. So what are the uses of tactical UAVs by your customers and what's driving the increased sales that OEC is generating? So... Um, the tactical UAVs are worth uh, somewhere in the order of uh, 2 to $4 million each. They carry uh, electronic payloads for the purposes of surveillance, intelligence gathering and reconnaissance. Um, they are an integral part of the defence chain, whether you be in the uh, Navy, Army or Air Force. Um, and uh, the growth is uh, being driven by the increasing level of sophistication of these electronic payloads and therefore value they supply to those um, defence personnel that are on the ground. Um, and, um, and what we have been able to, or how we've been able to position ourselves, I suppose, is uh, to produce an engine that uh, is power to weight better than anything in its class, but also, as importantly, it is one of the most reliable engine engines in its class. And now that these vehicles are so strategically important uh, and have a significant commercial value, um, the importance of them actually coming home after a mission, and that mission can be somewhere between 12 and 24 hours, is increasingly important. So. Uh, it's a great time to be in the company, Orbital, and to have some technology that is uh, class-leading in this particularly growing market. And so what's the pedigree of the design of the engine? Is it a two-stroke engine? Yeah, and it's very hard. It is a two-stroke engine, and, and hence why 
uh, Orbital's uh, legacy, if you like, of having many decades of experience with two-stroke engines and in particular a particular uh, technology that's a direct injection or direct fuel injection for a two-stroke engine. Now, why is that important? Because when we put a two-stroke engine in a defence drone, um, it needs to run on what we'd call uh, heavy fuel or kerosene-based fuel, jet fuel. When you run typically a two-stroke engine on a heavy fuel, uh, it becomes a little more unreliable. It's difficult to start. It runs for somewhere between 50 to 100 hours. That's without Orbital's direct injection technology. With Orbital's direct injection technology, that engine will run not 50 to 100 hours, but will run up to 500 hours before it needs a major overhaul. So there are significant cost benefits to the defence sector. But as importantly, because these overhauls are much further apart, rather than 50 or 100 hours, now 500 hours, there's much less touch time on these engines. So therefore, uh, there is much uh, reduced, there is a significant reduced possibility of um, any faults during that overhaul which create uh, failure modes or failures of engines out in the field. And your end, I mean, your, your direct customer is not the military per se, but it's rather these suppliers of, what are they, prime contractors to defence, is that right? Yeah, there's, another, there's a number of uh, tier one defence companies. So Boeing is, I think, the second largest in the world. Um, Boeing own uh, a subsidiary, 100%, called in situ. So it's really Boeing in situ. And in situ make all of Boeing's tactical defence drones. Um, there are others like Northrop Grumman. Um, there are others like Textron, etc. They all make... Uh, platforms or they all make uh, tactical drones. None of these companies make their own engines. That's a specialty area. And, uh, so although we have a terrific uh, contract you know, worth up to $350 million to supply engines into Boeing uh, in situ, there are other customers, we believe, that um, uh, would benefit from, from our product. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about the contract that you have with uh Boeing subsidiary in situ. What's the term of the contract? What's the dollar value worth? So the contract was originally signed, the, the supply, so this is to supply engines into uh, Boeing in situ. Uh, the contract was originally um, signed in December 2016, uh, and that was for the supply of uh, one engine model or one engine class. Um, and when I say one engine model, we, we make multiple engines uh, every month under that particular style or model of engine. So December 2016, we signed our first contract to design, develop and manufacture one engine model. And um, in October 2018, uh, with the growing confidence in our product, uh, we expanded that agreement with Boeing in situ to take it from uh, the design and development production of one engine model into five engine models that uh, go across all of Boeing in situ's tactical drone fleet. And that's what we are working on now. We uh, announced in January uh, of this year that the second engine model was in production. So right now, every month, uh, we are building and shipping two discrete engine models. Um, and delivering those to Boeing in situ while the design development team work on the third one to get into production. Once that third one's in production, we'll be working on the fourth and the fifth 
and at that stage we'll have engines that are going into all of Boeing in situ's uh, drones. Like I said, the contract's worth up to 350 million. It's got a five-year term, um, but we've already extended that long-term contract uh, once. Uh, it is very likely that we'll be extending it because of the amount of R&D that goes into the design of these bespoke engines into uh, Boeing in situ's vehicles. Uh, it is highly likely that, and the reason we like the defence sector is that it's a long-term arrangement of at least a decade or more. Uh, we're hoping to be a trusted supplier for Boeing in situ. So I mentioned your half-year results to December were $11.5 million, but you're continuing with your full-year guidance of between 25 to $35 million. Um, and is the majority of this uh, $25 to $35 million, um, to, uh, budgeted to come from in situ or from any other uh, customers? Yeah, at, at this stage of the company's life, uh, the majority of our revenue comes from Boeing in situ. So uh, the first half uh, revenue was on uh, the production of one engine model, so multiple engines underneath that one engine model, but one engine class, if you like, for six months. Uh, it's continuous production, so we'll have another six months of producing that engine. Uh, but then on top of that, we had that second engine uh, model uh, that went into production for this second half of the year. So from January onwards, we had uh, essentially two engines now in production, and that's why uh, we're confident of that revenue guidance between 25 and 35 million. And of course, then we keep adding to that. Uh, uh, we'll keep adding to that revenue guidance as we bring in new engine models. In addition to that, um, uh, the strategy of the company is to attract uh, additional customers. And so I think it was in early uh, March, late February, we announced uh, an additional co uh, customer, which is uh, um, one of the largest uh, Singapore uh, defence uh, companies that are now working with Orbital on the design and development of, uh, of a propulsion or an engine for their tactical drone. Um, and we would hope that um, over the course of this year, we would announce, you know, one, maybe two other additional customers and uh, work will then begin on the design development of production, sorry, design development of production of engines for, for these additional customers. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. It seems like there's a lot of activity. You're producing a number of different units. You've got this, um, uh, you know, big growth in uh, in in demand and therefore revenue from your cornerstone customer in situ, opportunities to work with some others. I, I look at your balance sheet on um, for the December half year and I see th around $13 million in cash and cash equivalent. Will this be sufficient working capital for you to undertake all of these activities? Yes. Um, so we've got, um, we've got to keep... Um, uh, inventory coming in, keep uh, uh, people um, uh, hard at the uh, hard at the agate, so to speak. So that's in both facilities. So here in uh, Perth and uh, our new facility that's over in Hood River, the northwest of the US. Um, the 13 million uh, working capital is uh, is sufficient for the growth plans that uh, we have. Um, at the rates of production that we currently have. And I would argue that in this particular environment, the COVID-19 environment, uh, any concepts of uh, expanding production, uh, asking more from your supply chain uh, would be ill-advised. It's uh, probably uh, more prudent to make sure that um, suppliers are 
delivering the products that you need right now um, and for current production levels, um, there is the question when uh, we start to come from the other side of COVID-19 on how we may look at expanding that throughput, but that's, uh, that's for analysis at that time. And why I raise that is that uh, if, if, if our supply chain can be expanded, uh, we believe that there is the volume to ship into our customer or existing customers. Uh, and at that time, we would do an assessment of whether the working capital of 13 million would be sufficient for, the, uh, for that expansion. One of the effects, the macroeconomic effects of COVID-19 for Australia has been uh, depreciation in the Australian dollar relative to US and other currencies. How will a low Australian dollar likely impact um, OEC? Yeah, well, I mentioned we have two two facilities. So we produce engines out of and, and do work out of the Perth, so based here in Australia, and we also uh, uh, produce uh, engines from a US facility. Uh, the revenue split uh, currently is around 70% here in Australia and 30% directly from the US, so a devaluing Australian currency is, uh, is, is beneficial for us. Um, just to be clear, because our uh, engines are sold in US dollars. Well, uh, that's uh, probably a, a bit of a positive for you guys at the moment. There's some some great news there. Um, what other impacts have you felt within uh, your organisation as a result of COVID-19? Uh, there's no, no question we've had to um, prioritise uh, work towards the business critical operations. Well, so what, what does that mean? We, we currently have two engines in production and we have a supply chain that needs to get parts in and logistics out to deliver engines out to our customer. That, that, that is our focus. And uh, um, uh, what we've done in that regard is beef up the people that are working in our supply chain to mitigate any supply chain risk. Um, and also get uh, others, you know, other engineers that may have been working on, say, some longer-term R&D. We've got those doubling up in our um, production facilities, so on uh, both our engine production lines, because uh, it's not COVID-19. It is definitely a risk, but as soon as someone has a cold or a flu, uh, we're having them stay at home. So we need that backup for people so production keeps going. So... So just clearly, yep, uh, we have a focus on supply chain, the two engines in production, and uh, we have some additional people on all those teams just to mitigate anyone uh, not being able to come into work. Um, and what announcements can we expect to see over the coming quarters um, with, uh, with, with OEC? I mean, you've touched on uh, doing some work with Singapore and um, potentially some other customers. So... How, how, how can investors, what, what smoke signals can investors start to look for in terms of the announcement flow over the next few quarters? I think we've concentrated on those. So since my appointment and the new executive team on board and then also leveraging on uh, the very talented people that have been in the organisation for some time, uh, we've focused on transitioning a very clever engineering organisation uh, into an aerospace manufacturer. Um, that, that's taken the three years, but um, uh, rubber's hitting the road, so to speak. Uh, we are now uh, weekly um, shipping product uh, to the US. 
uh, and that product is being used um, out uh, with the various defence organisations. On the on the back of that product now being used, we're getting some extremely positive uh, extremely positive feedback. Um, so I think uh, all of that is assisting uh, the credibility of our organisation. Um, so uh, the shareholders still see still need to see that credibility transition into us hitting targets, namely revenue and profitability targets. So they'll be very key announcements for us um, for this financial year and guidance for next financial year, as I think uh, we need to uh, provide some confidence in not just the one customer, um, but uh, the addition of uh, perhaps you know one or two additional customers for, for, for a growth plan. So that's, that's our concentration over the next uh, sort of six to 12 months. You've got a uh, the partnership with Insitu. Uh, you've just recently announced a flight testing program um, to be located in Queensland. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that program and 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 should we be looking out for any announcements regarding that activity as well? Yeah, um, it's a it's a unique. Um, um... Proposition that we offer to Boeing and Situ. So Boeing and Situ have, uh, coincidentally, uh, their major operation headquarters and development, etc., over in um, uh, the northwest of the U.S. Uh, in Oregon and Washington. Uh, but they also have an operation based in Queensland. Um, and uh, using uh, that geography, um, we, we're able to, if you like, accelerate or expedite some um, engine testing. So we get to test in the northwest in, uh, in summertime, but in the northwest of the US, it can get a little frosty and sometimes uh, that means you're uh, grounded, meaning you can't uh, get your engines up and flying and testing. Uh, in those situations now, though, we've got uh, we've got Queensland and a relationship that we've developed with uh, in situ in Queensland, and we can now um, conduct uh, some of our engine development, engine to testing with uh, with the Queensland in situ operation. So it just means that we get to accelerate, if you like, uh, uh, the development timeline for an engine with uh, with that opportunity. Now, what announcements might you see? Uh, we've just got that third engine into, uh, sorry, that second engine into production. The team are focusing on the third engine. Um, if uh, we decide and uh, if we decide that uh, some testing here in Australia would be beneficial, then uh, we'd, we'd likely make an announcement in that regard. It may or may not be. We don't have plans at this stage, but, um, but it's there and it's available for us if we need to accelerate the development timeline. And what's uh, one of the changes or the learnings that you may adopt in your business going forward coming out of COVID-19? Well, I think there's some ongoing learnings. So we're all learning. It's almost like a daily learning experience for us. So um, we have the uh, staff that don't need to handle physical product uh, working from home. Um, So we are all coming to terms with uh, the added level of communication that uh, that is required to keep the team all focused uh, and all engaged uh, and motivated on, uh, on what this company is out to achieve. Um, and um, uh, I, I think one of the learnings that will go on is is that communication. So we've we've got definitely better at communication rather than just face to face the you know electronic tools that we're using. Um, I also think that uh, with our customer, 
um, where we were jumping on planes, if you like, and conducting those relationship meetings. Uh, now we're sort of doing it on a more timely basis, um, just over you know the Zooms and the Skypes, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's some definite learnings uh, about uh, how quickly uh, you can organise um, you know meetings with customers. Um, and you don't have to wait to your uh, you know monthly trip on a plane, etc. Um, I also think that people are enjoying some work autonomously, um, and I think that's been a, a great benefit. We've seen some people really shine um, with a more autonomous working environment. Well, this is a, a really interesting story um, in a time where a lot of uh, position, businesses are uh, unfortunately positioned negatively with COVID-19, but you've got an uplift from the depreciation in the Australian dollar by having your revenues US dollar denominated. You've got around 13 million in cash and cash equivalent um, and uh, a good uh, a good share registry as well. Um, a very, very, um, you know, uh, quality contract in place with Boeing in situ and looks like a lot of upside in that. Um, Todd Alder, look, thank you very much for taking the time out to join us on Stock Talk and talk to us about Orbital UAV. Really appreciate the uh, opportunity, Nigel. Thank you.